0: Israel, Gaza, and Palestine. Does God choose sides? Has God chosen sides? Well, before we get started, let me read you a couple of Bible verses. In Matthew 7, 15 through 20, Jesus says, You know a tree by the fruit it bears. You know them by their fruit. Beware of wolves' and sheep's clothing. And James reiterates and expands on this point, you might say, in James 3, 11, and 12. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Once again, you know a tree by the fruit it bears. Hello everyone and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is podcast 39, podcast 039, where we have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live. So join us over the next 20 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's-eye view perspective of a complex issue confronting our culture, the church, and you by applying God's Word to make sense of it all. At the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources just in case you'd like to engage in further study and dig a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. Well, today, Mark, we are going to take on a dicey topic, Israel and Palestine and the ongoing conflict in the Middle East.
1: Yeah, that uh, is definitely one of the big conflicts on the forefront, uh, I think, in the world today. And um, we're seeing more and more uh, people really choosing sides in this. But uh, I am a little bit confused as to how you're going to bring in that question about how—or does God
0: take sides in that? Well, to be honest, Mark, it's sort of a trick question, but it illustrates a point. It should also make every Christian under 30 stop, and some over 40 stop. They should stop and think. So why would you say that? People's understanding of history has changed radically. And you've heard me say this before. Christians, of all people, but people just don't know their Bibles in the way they used to. And they don't have a coherent understanding of God's words, promises, and prophecy, let alone history.
1: Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, the history then.
0: Well, first there's Israel. People, media, Hollywood, speak carelessly of Israel's so-called occupation of Palestine or Gaza. And you hear people, and I don't mean to beat up on the public school system, but our educational system is such that students just don't know history because they just aren't taught history. And people forget that the United Nations chartered Israel as a nation in 1948 with an international agreement. And the European nations had colonized, were acting as colonial powers in the area, what is now called, popularly called Palestine. And the Jewish people and the Palestinians threw off colonial rule, many of the Jews having returned after the Holocaust. When the nation was formed, they were in short order attacked by surrounding Arab nations who they handily defeated. The Arab nations attacked again in 1967 and were defeated again in what we call the Six Day War. Now think about that, 150 million Muslim Arabs, surrounding a nation of less than 7 million, attacking and losing in six days. Think about it, Jordan, Syria, and Egypt attacked Israel vowing to drive the Jews out, and were defeated, and this time Israel held on to a buffer zone to protect themselves. And again, that war lasted from June 5th, 1967 to June 10th, 1967 and was called the Six-Day War. Now, in this war, the Israelis asked what we will call the Palestinians to help them defend the country, that they could build a country together, and they refused because the Arab world had told them they were going to drive the Jews out to the sea and the Palestinians could have their land. So the Palestinians left. And because of that betrayal, they were not allowed to return. These days, you hear a lot about the right of return. The Arabs kept the Palestinians isolated in refugee camps, refusing to let them resettle in Arab nations, sort of a betrayal of the betrayers. And eventually, the Palestinians in some areas, like Jordan, tried to overthrow the government and they were expelled. But the Arab world was not done, however. They again engaged in a war, a coordinated attack on the High Holy Day of Yom Kippur in 1973, and it's called the Yom Kippur War. And they were defeated. Egypt lost a 23,000 square mile area called the Sinai Peninsula and the Gaza Strip. Jordan lost the West Bank and East Jerusalem, and Syria lost the strategic Golan Heights. Their rationale was they wanted to recapture the lands they'd lost in their previous campaign to destroy the Jews, and initially they were very successful, launching a coordinated air tank and infantry assaults simultaneously from multiple directions. This war started October 6, 1973, and it lasted 243 days, with Israel defending, uh, excuse me, defeating her attackers casualties were heavy on all sides, and only Egypt made a peace treaty accepting the Israelis' right to exist. Oddly, Egypt did not want the Gaza Strip back. Israel did return the Sinai Peninsula. Israel held on to the Golan Heights because Syria was continuing to rain rockets down on its people, and so they offered Syria a deal, and Syria refused that deal. Jordan did not want the West Bank back, and this is why you... Here, and this is where you hear about this so-called occupation of Palestine.
1: Okay, so hold on. Egypt and Jordan and Syria all controlled Gaza, the West Bank, and some of what we now call Palestine. Wasn't Palestine a country before that?
0: No. Palestine wasn't a country or a state. It never has been. Palestine is a word derived from the Roman Latin, which is the word for Philistine. Mark, Palestine was never a country. They don't have a distinctive culture. There is no such thing as Palestinian music. In fact, they all carried Jordanian passports and had Jordanian citizenship until Jordan basically abandoned them after that war because the land was basically swampland, and it was the Jews who came in and put in infrastructure roads, highways, things like that. Palestine is a made-up country that never existed with It has no indigenous culture. And now it's a rallying cry, I'm sorry to say and sorry to sound so harsh, for many historical illiterates and many on the left who need an excuse for anti-Semitism or Jew-hating. You know, you have to remember the so-called Palestinians, these tribes that were there at the time, during World War II sided with the Nazis.
1: So, I I guess another thing that I hear a lot of this um, when we talk about Palestine is Israel's occupation of Palestine. So, what is that about then?
0: Well, if you really want to talk about occupation, the Jews were there first, going back a few thousand years before the Jordanians, or the so-called Palestinians. Israel, by title deed, owns or owned huge chunks of what is now Saudi Arabia, and a large chunk of what is Iraq today beyond the Euphrates River. These other nations, uh, Saudi Arabia, which is a a created nation created by the British, and Iraq, they're the occupying nations of lands that belong to Israel. If anyone wants to talk about reparations, reparations are owed to the Jews. But let's shift gears for a moment.
1: Okay, so uh, before we do that, I just want to Ask how how can you say how can you say that these reparations are owed to the Jews? Uh, that's not really something you see anywhere in history or writing
0: and um, or the ancient documents, right? Well, actually, you do see it in history and in writing and in ancient documents, and that's why the Arab nations and even the Palestinian Authority is constantly destroying selected archaeological sites that would verify such things. But if you wanted to look it up quickly pick up a Bible and start reading in Genesis chapter 12, there you read about the Abrahamic covenant and the land promises to Israel. This is the oldest record of a perpetual covenant and title deed, and this is as legitimate as any other ancient document somebody can find. God gave the land to Israel, and the Arab world knows it and dreads it, and that's why they use such genocidal languages in places like Iran or in Syria and most Christians ignore this because they really don't believe the Bible, sad to say. That's just a sad, a sad commentary indeed on the state of the church.
1: Okay, so I, I guess we're at the point where it seems like there's a lot of different things going on, and, and, and I think we've done a pretty good job going through uh, the history. Uh, so do we have some time to get into some of these latest conflicts?
0: Yeah, and you're right. There's a lot of directions we could take, and there's a lot going on to anyone who's paying attention. But I'm sorry to say, few people are really paying close attention. So let me give you some additional historical context, and we'll kind of dig a little bit deeper in the time we have left. Israel has repeatedly given up claims on land. They have, through a series of negotiations, given given Gaza its freedom uh, back in 2010 which makes you wonder, why is Gaza demanding its freedom and firing missiles at schools and hospitals and residential areas? Let me give you a little context. Since Israel gave up its claims on Gaza and gave Gaza its so-called freedom, why is Gaza, or Hamas, better, the terrorist organization, firing missiles at schools, residential areas, and hospitals in Israel? Does anyone ever think of that?
1: Yeah, but most of the headlines that I'm seeing are all about Israel destroying all of the schools and the hospitals and the residential areas in Gaza, though.
0: Well, that's what the headlines say, but there's a reason for that. Know what it is? Well, it sounds like you're about to tell us. I am. Hamas, which means violence in Gaza like the PLO, the Palestinian Authority, and like ISIS and other terrorist groups, like to store weapons caches command and control centers, and set up missile sites under hospitals, around hospitals and schools, and fire rockets from residential areas in order to utilize the people as human shields. Why would they do that? Because any attempt to take out these artillery positions results in maximum human casualties, which gets and grabs headlines in the New York Times or gets dutifully reported uncritically by CNN. So these people are happy to sacrifice their children, like people did to the god Molech thousands of years ago. They're happy to sacrifice their children and old people and civilians for headlines, just like al-Qaeda did in Iraq and the Taliban did, putting missile launchers in mosques and hospitals. This is what terrorists do.
1: You know, now that you mention it, it does remind me of a story that I did hear about um, how Israel does, you know, they post on Twitter where they're going to attack, and uh, and I believe they even call the buildings ahead of time and say, hey, we're going to blow up your building um, and to, to get those civilians out.
0: That's right, Mark. I mean, you can go to YouTube, and there is a number of videos showing the Israeli Defense Force—that's the IDF—that's their military— making phone calls to houses, apartments, businesses, block by block, home by home in Gaza, to warn the people of an impending attack on a military position near them, or in that building, or in the basement of a building, or of a hospital, or in the middle of a residential area. Know why they did that?
1: Well, I would assume it's to save the lives of the civilians and the children that are there and really clear out the innocent lives for the military targets.
0: That's exactly right. They are not firing indiscriminately like Hamas. They're trying to be as careful as they can.
1: Okay, so do you want to talk about the cost in terms of casualties and damage uh, to Gaza's sewer and power grid? Because that all has been pretty annihilated.
0: Well, that's true, Mark. Uh, People are dying because Hamas, and to some degree the populace's anti-Jewish savagery, has invited military action. Again, you go on YouTube and watch the phone calls, and you have parents refusing to move their children because they want casualties, and they tell them, we're going to keep our children right where they are, and you can be cruel and attack us. And in contrast, you have Israel doing its best to protect its people. Tens of thousands of people spending days in shelters and bomb shelters, but not so with Hamas. Hamas wants casualties. Hamas wants martyrs. They want to recruit fanatics, and this is the way to do it, and this shifts attention away from their failure to govern. And as far as infrastructure, common sense and logic tells us that if you fire rockets at Israel or any other country, expect them to shoot back. And by the way, that's a little-known fact, Israel provides water services and electricity and infrastructure to Gaza for free until now
1: okay so another argument that i've heard a lot um and and seems to have some weight behind it is is the people who say that israel is hitting back too hard or disproportionately like obviously israel can wipe gaza completely off of the map if they wanted to because of the support and all the military aid that they've been given so what do you say to those people who say that israel is hitting back too hard.
0: Well, I, you know, here's a couple of things. Yes, Israel gets military support from us and Iran is funding Hamas. But when people say Israel is hitting back disproportionately, I like to say this. Says who? I mean, really, who says so? And then I like to ask two questions. What do you mean by disproportionately? How did you arrive at that conclusion by what you read from Al Jazeera, CNN, the New York Times, or maybe Ilhan Omar weighed in on it, or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or Brad Pitt, the, the movie star? Let's remember this. In war, it's sad to say, you kill people and break things. Hamas is sacrificing its people, the people of Gaza, for an Iranian agenda. And We don't have time to get into that today, but they're sacrificing people by putting Missile sites near schools, in schools, hospitals, universities, and Israel has shown the greater amount of restraint. But when you start a war, expect to suffer casualties. And the proportional thing is what people read in biased newspapers and from people who really don't want to report on the whole story.
1: All right, so I know that we're running short on time. So, where does the Bible factor into all of this? You know, to ask the question from the podcast title, does God choose sides?
0: Okay, well, first and foremost, the so-called Palestinians, according to the Bible, and in no small portion, uh, the Arab world, are sitting on Jewish land. And Israel has given away chunks of this land uh, in order to induce uh, the Palestinians and the Arab nations to acknowledge their right to exist as a nation, But they have refused to recognize Israel's right to exist. Israel has made concession after concession, even giving away land that God has told them not to give away. But your question is, is does God choose sides? And Mark... Do you think God would side with a people who sacrifice their children, like people used to, to the god Molech, or would engage in Jew-hating or would engage in anti-Semitic activity? Do you think God would side with a group of people who put rocket launchers under preschools, schools, homes, and hospitals, and the like? Or a people who would call and warn residents of an attack 48 hours in advance, forfeiting the element of surprise? You know a tree by the fruit it bears, and these terrorists are bearing a lot of fruit.
1: Well, yeah, I think since you phrase it that way, uh, I I can definitely see kind of where that's going. So what would you say to the people who accuse you of, of probably having a bias in all of this?
0: You mean like the New York Times kind of bias or the educational establishment type of bias or CNN bias? Have you heard much reporting on the links that Israel goes to to avoid casualties? There's the bias.
1: Okay, yeah, I can see that. Um, so can you tie this all into, into the Bible, maybe a, a specific passage? Yes, we can.
0: Let's look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the Abrahamic covenant. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in all the families of the earth, Shall be blessed in you. Then this covenant is repeated in Genesis chapter 26, 1 through 5, and it's repeated to one of the descendants of Abraham. Genesis 26, 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him, appeared to Isaac, and said, Do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. And for to you and your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish an oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice." And kept my charge and my commandments and my statutes and laws. Let me read that again. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father, and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. Because Abraham obeyed my voice. Because Abraham obeyed God's voice. God promised this to Abraham. He continued the promise to Isaac. And that promise continues to this day. And God will bless those who bless Israel and will curse those who curse Israel. Will God choose sides? He already has. The question is, whose side are you on?
1: Yeah, Keith, I think that's a great question. And I think for us as Christians, it's just understanding how important our bibles are and how important understanding what's there is as we confront these these issues that go on in this world today understanding that our bibles that were written you know thousands of years ago especially these verses from the that very first covenant that God made with Abraham understanding how they play out even today in our world and i think that's that's really the point of why we do
0: this podcast that's exactly right well, that's it for today. If you'd like further resources, and we'll provide plenty, go to gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button. If you'd like to ask me a question, email me at keith at Hillside.org. I'd love to hear from you, and I try to answer within 24 hours. You can learn more about Hillside Church at www.hillside.org forward slash services if you'd like to worship with us online. But instead, come and join us in person, Sundays at 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. Before you go, if you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, or Spotify, or any other platform, give us a five-star rating. Give us a great review. Share us with your friends so that we can minister to more people and reach more people for Christ. We release this podcast every Wednesday, so we hope you'll join us next time. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler, out of my mind. God bless you, and God keep you.